Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Pig Health Today, and with me is Dr. Megan Niederwerder. She is a veterinarian and a virologist from Kansas State University. It's great to have you here. Great to be here. Thanks for the invitation. You've been extremely busy with everything going on with African swine fever overseas and concerns about importing that virus, possibly through feed ingredients. But you actually started looking at this several years ago, didn't you? Yes, really with the introduction of PEDV, uh, we started recognizing that feed may serve as a transmission route for both virus introduction for transboundary diseases as well as spread uh, once it gets introduced into the country. And so really once we started thinking about uh, feed as a transmission vector, uh, we wanted to understand more about how that, what's the risk factors of feed with other foreign animal diseases such as ASF and, and CSF as well as pseudorabies. And I know you have a terrific nutrition department at Kansas State University, but I believe you also have a, a unique setup for evaluating this? Absolutely. We have a, a great facility at Kansas State University, the Biosecurity Research Institute, which is a BSL-3 facility which allows us to work directly with these foreign animal diseases in a safe and uh, secure laboratory. Including African swine fever? Absolutely, yep. And we have the opportunity to work with African swine fever virus, the currently circulating strain, uh, Georgia 2007. So you don't have to use a surrogate when you're evaluating that one? Correct. Excellent. You know, and I know Scott D., who you've coordinated mm -hmm. some uh, research with him as well, um, it, it's, it's pretty scary when you mm -hmm. think that this uh, very deadly and costly virus could sneak into the country through feed ingredients mm -hmm. or maybe some other uh, soft products or, or whatever. Um, but just because a, a virus is in the feed, does it necessarily mean that it's infectious? Well, that was really the question of our latest study, is understanding can feed actually transmit the virus through natural consumption? And uh, this really hadn't been investigated thus far with regards to foreign animal disease transmission through plant-based feed that does not have contaminated pork products. And so this the, the recently published study is focused on understanding the minimum infectious dose required for uh, infection through feed as well as through contaminated liquid. And uh, what we found was that the virus could be easily transmitted through the oral route uh, with higher doses required in feed. Uh, but another interesting aspect of the study was that we were able to model what would happen if the pig was exposed through repeated exposures. And uh, we think that's more realistic of what would happen in the field if, let's say, a, a contaminated batch of feed was delivered to the farm. The pigs would consume that over several days. And what we found was as the pigs were exposed repeatedly, the likelihood of infection increased in feed. So this problem is, is real. There's no question about this, this virus coming in through feed and possibly infecting a herd? I think it's a risk factor for potential virus introduction. And uh, understanding the risk factor that it's there, what sort of preventative uh, procedures we can put in place to reduce that risk, I think are really important next steps. And let's talk about those a little bit. I guess hold times have been getting a lot of attention and they vary for different ingredients. Could you talk to those, talk to us about those a little bit? Sure, so what we've been able to do with the transboundary model working with uh, Scott D and Diego DL 
is understand what feed ingredients actually support virus survival. And based on that, we've been able to develop some data with regards to half-life. So how does the virus degrade over time in those feed ingredients? But what we're trying to do now is understand how that virus degrades uh, at varying temperatures, which we all know uh, the viruses like cold temperatures, so they survive for longer periods mm -hmm. in cold temperatures as opposed to uh, increased temperatures. And so we're trying to understand uh, and provide some recommendations with regards to storage time based on, on temperature holding. And I've seen some of these directives from the National Pork Board and other associations about uh, these, these hold times, and they talk about um, the hold times maybe reducing the level of virus to 99.99%, but there's still that tenth of a percent in there. I mean, is that something, or possibly in there, mm -hmm. is that a concern, or do we need to be at 100%? I think there are several mitigation strategies that we can implement uh, that will reduce the risk. Uh, to be able to say 100% is very difficult as far as reducing or eliminating risk. Uh, but the more procedures that we put in place as we learn about this virus, learn about stability in feed and the half-life at varying temperatures, uh, we can continue to reduce the risk with these feed biosecurity protocols. What should pork producers be doing today here in the, in the U.S. to protect themselves, not just against African swine fever, but any foreign animal disease that might sneak through in a batch of feed? Sure, so I think first uh, it's important to consider where your feed ingredients are coming from, what countries, uh, working with your feed manufacturer to understand uh, because feed ingredients are a global, global distribution. And so understanding where those feed ingredients are coming from, understanding uh, what foreign animal diseases are circulating in the country of origin, uh, making appropriate changes to reduce the risk, and understanding the concept of feed biosecurity with regards to personnel and, and protocols where feed is manufactured to reduce the risk of feed being a transmission vector for diseases into your farm. But so many of these feed ingredients and some feed medications are manufactured in China. Mm -hmm. um, and sometimes there aren't alternative sources. What do you do in that situation? Sure, so I think we need to consider uh, the, the processing procedures for each ingredient and what ingredients are more likely to be contaminated versus others. Uh, so some of the agricultural practices in China uh, through drying grains and uh, threshing practices will increase the likelihood of contamination for certain ingredients. And then I think we need to, t we need to think about what we can do here in the U.S. Uh, with regards to chemical mitigants, uh, storage time, uh, heat treatments, and, and again, we're still learning a lot about how the virus survives in feed. Uh, but hopefully we'll be able to come up with some solutions to reduce that risk through feed ingredients. And what do we know about the mitigants that can be added to feed at this point? Sure, so there are several chemical mitigants that um, both myself as well as Diego and Scott have been investigating with regards to uh, BSL-2 viruses, and of course in my lab, BSL-3 viruses. Uh, and there are several large categories of, of these mitigants, and we're really still learning about which mitigants are effective and at what inclusion rates. Let's 
get back to your research. What's next on the horizon? Because I know that the final chapter on this has not been written. Absolutely. So the next uh, steps in this investigation are to understand the effect of chemical mitigants on the virus in feed and feed ingredients, so primarily focused on ASF. But we're also doing a lot of research with regards to classical swine fever virus as well as the Chinese variant strain of pseudorabies. And so we are working to understand does CSF and pseudorabies survive in feed and feed ingredients using the transboundary model, uh, investigating again the oral dose and if these viruses can be transmitted through feed and also, of course, chemical mitigation. And feed has been getting all the attention, but are there other possible carriers of these viruses that, that you're concerned about? Absolutely, I think pork products, contaminated pork products is a, is a major risk factor through um, illegal importation of these, um, of bring passengers bringing potentially contaminated pork products. Uh, I think that's a risk factor that we've seen throughout the world and uh, needs to be something that we're all vigilant about um, preventing. And we have so many products that are made in China. Mm -hmm. um, are there other types of um, materials that are used in veterinary medicine, coveralls for example, the throwaway boots, uh, some of those are made in China. Should we be concerned about those? Uh, less research has been done on those types of products, but uh, some of the products that we have included in the transboundary model that are concerning are some of the uh, pet foods uh, that, that we import. And so that's been one of the um, components of the transboundary model to understand how these viruses survive in not only feed ingredients that will be integrated into um, swine feed, but also uh, potentially for other domestic animals. Wonderful. Well, fascinating story, and I know the industry really appreciates the great work that you're doing. Thank you. We've been talking to Megan Niederwerder. She is a veterinarian and virologist at Kansas State University. Thanks again for coming by. Thank you so much.